Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday, and we had taken a week off, so just two weeks worth of quotes that are in here. But what we saw was some signs that consumer spending is starting to soften a little bit. And there were a lot of quotes in there that were talking about softening consumer spending, but it still doesn't quite feel like it's really completely materializing the, the consumer softening. It feels like actually consumer spending, to put it a different way, it feels like consumer spending is holding up better than one would expect, given the amount of anxiety that's in the economy. Eric, what do you think? I think that's actually the key takeaway from this week. There are some signs that are stress, but the consumer is not stressed. So there are signs like they could be cautious in terms of spending, maybe shifting spend from here to there. But in terms of overall spend, there is not much, not much has changed. This is an area we've been paying very keen attention to in the past few weeks. And you still don't see any really remarkable major signs that uh, there is much change that is happening in terms of the consumer. The hope is that inflation will slow down, but it has not yet slowed down. Even from the Fed speakers themselves, they keep saying that, hey, they don't see inflation coming down. I think one key takeaway, which for me is to doubt was one, I think one of the quotes that said that whenever, historically, whenever inflation reaches this level or this very high level to calm down, it's not like one of those things that you just wish away and then it calms down. It will take, it will take a couple of months to flow through down, like to calm down. Is that something that you also like resonates with you when you look at the historical data that we have? I don't know exactly about that. I think. There's two elements. There's like the year over year inflation numbers, which honestly I would have expected to come down already because you would expect the year over year change to start to decline just because the cop is getting harder basically. But then there's also the element of the inflationary psychology, which we've talked about several times before on the podcast, where if people are expecting price increases and that inflationary psychology is starting to get built into the economy then you would expect inflation to persist for a while. I think that the psychology is so much different than it was 10 years ago or before the pandemic, when the burden was always to demonstrate why we weren't in a period of deflation. Now it very much feels like the burden of proof is on whether or not we're in a period of inflation. And as long as that's the case, the Fed is going to be some a dampening force on the economy, most likely, especially in the stance that they are today because they'll be trying to fight inflation rather than promote growth. So I think that's the other second key takeaway from the macro section, that there is no respite in terms of raising rates. So I think raising rates is something that will continue for a while longer. And the impact on emerging economies, something I've also been paying very close attention to. I was surprised that there was a UN agency that put out a report and part of it was saying, urging the Fed to, to cut back on raising rates yesterday when we set out the newsletter. One of the things I also noted is Ark Invest's uh, Kathy Wood sending out a letter to the Fed telling them to also stop raising rates. Would you do the same? Because the impact though, on emerging markets is actually really significant. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the emerging market economy, this is a very classic dynamic that happens in a rate rising cycle in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And even in the nineties, when there were, when there was an increase in interest rates, you had problems in Russia in the nineties, you had problems in Latin America in the eighties. This is part of the dynamic when the dollar gets stronger. If you have countries that have issued dollar denominated debt that don't use the dollar as their functional currency, then it makes it more difficult to repay 
adds stress onto those economies. And so this is something that it's not terribly surprising to see. And so what you're seeing is volatility in foreign exchange markets as the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, as the dollar is getting stronger, headwind to earnings, absolutely. And given the magnitude of the move in the dollar, it, it's not clear whether this is priced in to the market yet. So. I bet not. This earnings season, I think this is one of the most common things that you, and we're already seeing it in earnings. Some of the companies are already citing the constant currencies. Growth is actually better than the ones which includes the FX. So I think FX effects is some one of the key things to pay attention to in earnings. But a quick question, especially on the impact on emerging markets in terms of the strong dollar. Then in the 80s or 90s, I feel like the US could afford to, to have some of these emerging economies being impacted by the rising dollar. But in modern, in the, in the, in the current economic climate and with geopolitical tensions, we saw something like nuclear, the threat of nuclear war being one of the highest since the 1960s. So with all these kind of risks, can the U.S. afford to have some of these economies be decimated by a very strong dollar? Uh, or it's a very, it's a very unique time. There's quantitative tightening, quantitative easing happening at the same time, the strong dollar and all of these kind of geopolitical tensions. So I don't know what you can draw in terms of your perspective from history and what that can inform maybe how an investor should think about the times as it is. Yeah, I think fundamentally your question underlying all of that is, will this impact the Fed's reaction function <laughs> in the way they are raising rates? And I think the answer is probably not. I think until and unless international circumstances in emerging markets or in developed economies begin to impact U.S. financial markets in a way that there's counterparty risk to a U.S. financial institution or really the primary indicator that the Fed is looking at are just the equity markets, the S&P 500 probably. The S&P 500 were saw a sell-off by 10 or 15% because of something that's happening some sort of global financial crisis, then yeah, I would expect the Fed to change its, change its course. But right now it's just rumblings. Same thing, I, it's sad that we have to mention it, but I think it is worth mentioning the threat of escalation in Ukraine. Clearly Putin is escalating today with conventional weapons, but I think people are pretty concerned because he's signaling that he may use unconventional weapons. It's a scary thing we're contending with. And it cer certainly I would expect if something were to come about or even just the threat, it would impact capital markets to some extent. But one thing that I noted for our premium subscribers is that in 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis actually created the bottom for the stock market, a sustained bottom. Really? Yeah, because of the positive resolution of the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's one of the few instances where a change in Fed policy was not the primary catalyst for stock market bottom. Curious, how did the Fed respond at the time? Any thoughts? The Fed didn't respond directly to the Cuban Missile Crisis, but the Fed did, I believe, start loosening in like October of 1962, about a few weeks before the market bottom. But really, when the Cuban Missile Crisis was resolved, you had a big, strong bull market rally that was the bottom, the type of thing that we would be looking for as the signal for the end of the bear market. 1962 is a year that's fairly analogous to, 19, or to 2000. 22, 60 years later, just in the pattern of trading that we're seeing, where you had a steep sell-off at the beginning of the year, some recovery mid-year, and then hopefully sustained bottom sometime within the next month or so. But it's honestly, with the way that the Fed is reacting, it, it seems hard to see how we would get a bottom in the next few weeks. 
Interesting. I think the biggest takeaway, I think, for the international social, of course, is the rising risk, especially of nuclear war. Given that I am stationed in Europe, I'm paying very close attention to some of these escalations that are happening, especially in Ukraine. And hopefully for the best resolution, of course, not just for the markets, but also for the world so that it doesn't end and that you can keep doing the transcript at the end of the day. So any other things that you picked out? So perhaps maybe, as especially as we preview earnings season, so I think one of the key things is, of course, bloated inventories across retailers. That's a significant risk. I think it, it seems like going into this uh, earnings season, you'd expect a lot of companies to be stuck with a lot of inventory. Demand is falling for some of the products. So I think, and then the supply chain is uh, resolving. Uh, there's a resolution of the supply chain in some of the pockets of the market. So that means a lot of companies are stuck with the inventory, which they may take a while to deal with. So I think that's one key things to check out as we head into earnings season. And of course, tech companies, the PCs and the PCs and semis market is heavily challenged. So them, they too are stuck with a lot of inventory. So the weakening demand is impacting them. I think there was a guidance from AMD CEO Lisa Su last week about preliminary results for AMD showing that they are having, there's heavier than, weaker than expected PC demand, which is impacting revenues going into Q3. Any takeaways from that or any other sections? Yeah, one other quote that I think is worth mentioning was the one from Tim Cook talking about augmented reality. I think I've heard Tim Cook say many times over and over over the course of the last, call it 24 months, just that he is more bullish on augmented reality. And I feel like this is the type of thing for me, where at least I'm reading it enough times where it's starting to actually hit for me, where Augmented reality does seem like something which is potentially a really strong platform technology that Apple clearly seems to be pretty focused on. But there was something just this weekend that kind of hit me about how what a poor form factor the smartphone actually is in terms of your interface with the internet or computing generally. Like the fact that we're all like hunched over typing with our thumbs on a little device all day is a little bit crazy. and. You would expect the new form factor to emerge at some point. Apple seems to be betting on augmented reality in some way. So maybe we'll see that, but this is maybe not so much of a public markets plan, but just something to be thinking about in terms of the way that compute could evolve over the next decade. Any thoughts on as banks starts their earnings this week, anything you're paying close attention to? I think honestly, their comments on their capital markets businesses will be the most interesting thing. I still don't expect any credit quality deterioration to be coming through. Obviously their credit card businesses as well, getting a read on what they're seeing in terms of consumer spending and maybe some of the comments that they'll probably make in terms of commercial lending. Banks are so central to the economy that it's always nice to get earnings season launched off with some salient data. Yeah. And of course, we will also be paying attention, especially to mortgage, the mortgage banking side and how that's the mortgage business and that's been affected by the housing markets. Definitely. That's another comment. Mortgage rates hitting 7%. Yeah. It's a massive change for the housing market. It, it really changes the affordability equation in a big way. And it seems like the home prices, the housing market generally just seems like it's sitting on the precipice, which would also mean that equity prices also should probably be coming down quite a bit. If that's the cost of capital to buy a house, what's the cost of equity for your average as a people at every company? It's got to be up 7% plus six and a half, seven percent We're not at that multiple on earnings. So if you have earnings come down and then you have a multiple that's discounting six and a half, seven percent cost of capital, 
plus. There's still some downside to the stock market. Yep. I just noticed some houses around here in Sweden, which are back down almost 16 to 20% down. And this is for a market that hasn't experienced such a downturn in almost a decade and a half. So significant impact on housing market, not just in the US, but globally going ahead. So I think this is a good place to close up. Thank you for joining us this week for the Trust podcast. I'll see you again next week as we analyze the start of the earnings season for Q3. Thank you and goodbye.